Hey guys, it's Rose. Welcome back to the timeout room. I have another survivor story for you. This is the story of Kristen Wallace. She got sent to Aspen Behavioral Assessment Center in Utah and then soon transferred to Maple Lake Academy in Utah. She's got a pure heart and one of the sweetest girls I've ever talked to. Um, Again, if you need any information about Breaking Code Silence, go to www.breakingcodesilence.net. If you have not watched This Is Paris, go ahead and watch that. It's on YouTube Originals. Um, With further ado, this is Kristen Wallace's story. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to the show. Um, thanks for being on here and telling your story. Yeah, thank you so much for um, inviting me. Yeah, of course. Um, so I kind of want to just give you the reins. Um, and I know that you were at a few programs. Um, so kind of just give us like a, a lowdown on that. Okay, yeah, so um, I was in two programs in Utah. Uh, When I left, I was um, 16, and I first went to a, like, just, like, psych ward here in Tucson, and uh, it was was not a good place either, (laughs) Um, but uh, my parents told me that they were going to be sending me to a place in Utah um, because they were aware that the psych hospital was not a good place to stay and Hmm. so I was I was admitted to the psych hospital I was struggling with self-harm and depression and my therapist had actually told my parents that if they didn't admit me to the psych hospital, then she would, like, call the cops, I guess. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I had been self-harming, and my parents didn't know about it. Um, And they found out about it and took me to my therapist. And I remember the therapist, um, you know, kind of saying, well, if you she kind of asked me, like, are you suicidal, you know, Um, and I, I don't remember really being actively suicidal. I mean, I was, I was self-harming, and I was depressed. Um, I think I was actually really pretty numb to to just everything. Um, And so when she asked me, like, if I was actively suicidal, or like, if I wanted to die or whatever, I think I said something along the lines of like, I don't care. And she mm. kind of took she kind of took that to mean that that I was okay. Like she took that to mean that I was suicidal. So um, right, yeah. So which, that, was, which is a pretty like teenager response. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I think that yeah, I think it probably is a pretty teenage response. <laughs> and you know, they they had just found out that I was self harming, and it was kind of a confrontation. Um you know, in her office type deal. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just really like embarrassed and, you know, didn't just didn't want to like really reveal like my true feelings about anything. um, Yeah. 
Yeah. So. Did um, you have, like, besides that um, instance, like, with the cell phone and everything, was there other problems at home? Or do you think that was just the main reason? Well, so, I, you know, I never did drugs. I never you know, was drinking alcohol or anything like that. Um, my home life, I mean, I had an older sister and I, you know, I had mom and dad and they were good to me. And, you know, this, this was not the first about of self-harm that I had. Um, and so in the past, you know, when my parents would find out that I was self-harming, um, my mom kind of just had a very, I don't want to say dramatic because I don't understand, like, I understand from a parent's viewpoint, you know, that that's really scary. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think her reactions always kind of scared me, um, you know, to the point where I didn't want anybody to really know about it. Uh, You you know, because, you know, when she found out, like one time in middle school, the counselor found out, you know, and she had to come and pick me up. Um, and I remember, I remember that being really embarrassing and, um, you know, and then I guess she was, it was just always very like, um, like a hover parent type thing whenever, um, they would find out that I was hurting myself, um, you know, like coming in the middle of the night with a flashlight to make sure I was like in bed (laughs) and kind of got to a point where, you know, I I was self-harming like to help myself feel better. Um, and I kind of you know, I didn't want anybody to know about it for a couple reasons. Like, for one, because I knew, I knew how they reacted. So I was probably a little bit scared. And also just because I didn't want them to be upset, like, and, you know, and sad or whatever, because of me. So I kind of just thought that if I kept it to myself, you know, then everything would be fine. Right? Um, right. Yeah. So did they try to talk to you about why you were doing that or they just felt so much shame that it was just trying to make you stop? Um I mean, I I had been to a lot of different therapists over the years. Um and I don't really think that I knew to a full degree like why I was doing it. Um I started at a really young age. Um at, in like fourth grade, I think was the first time that I did, I had, I tried doing that. And I don't remember, you know, I don't remember any like other kids that were doing it. Like, so I don't, you know, I don't really know where that came from. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, now as an adult, I can look back and, um, you know, I, I saw, I see that I had some really, really messed up teachers, you know, and I had some learning disabilities. So I had a lot of trouble in school. And, you know, I was always kind of just trying to, you know, get people to like me. Um, And so, I, you know, and I actually have autism and I was diagnosed with that at my first placement, actually. So I think that played a role in to all this as well. I think there was probably sort of a sensory component to it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you know, at the time I... I didn't understand, like, um, I think I had a lot of feelings that were just not, um, were not able to be, like, sort of expressed, and so that's, you know, kind of part of how I turned to that outlet. 
of solving. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, that's so interesting because I just had a conversation about my, um, or about that with my therapist today about how many people that were at these programs probably had a lot of sensory issues because I do notice that with a lot of survivors. Yeah. We all have like some sort of sensory thing. And as like kids and teenagers can come out um, in different destructive ways. Yeah. I mean, as a little kid, you know, I had severe type sensory um, things at that time, they only really diagnosed autism if it was like, you know, somebody was not verbal or you mm-hmm. know, a child was nonverbal. And they didn't really, I don't think there wasn't really the spectrum at that time. Right. Um, and so I, I believe I was just diagnosed with, you know, like sensory processing disorder, you know, because, um, mm-hmm. but as a, as a small child, you know, it was very bad, like in terms of you know, clothes, like were always a nightmare mm-hmm. and, and noise and yeah I did a lot I had of that too yeah I did a lot of <laughs> therapy as a as a kid um to, to try to deal with um to deal with that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah and I think um the biggest misconception of people when they ask me about the programs is they think that we just all did drugs and like we're bad kids um there's just, you know, stuff like depression and self-harm mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you get sent to a psych ward in your town. Right. Yep. Um, how long were you there? I remember it was over like Memorial Day weekend. Um, so, so not that long. So not that long, like three or four days. Um, okay. There wasn't really any therapy there either. I don't know if that was just because it was like a holiday or what the deal was with that. Um, but it wasn't, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a good place for kids at all. Um, right. Definitely not therapeutic or anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Um, so how, how did you get sent to the first program after the psych ward? So my parents, um, well, my parents wanted to be the one to tell, to, to tell me that they, you know, that they had found a place in Utah, um, that, Mm -hmm. that was a a behavioral like assessment place, which was where they, I guess, do all these different like tests to see what your issues were sort of. Um, Mm -hmm. but what happened was that the, that the therapist at, the psych ward actually told was the one that told me and she was just horrible she was just like well your parents are coming to pick you up at 4 a.m to take you to Utah because no one can help you and she like locked me in this padded room (laughs) yeah great (laughs) right a great way to make a kid um not happy yeah yeah and of course you know as a teenager at 16 you kind of don't I don't think your mind really thinks beyond a couple days. You know, I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I'll be here for a couple days and then like I'll go back to like my life of, you know, going to school. Yeah. Like I I there was no part of me that realized that um I would be like leaving and going to a different state or whatever. Um, right <laughs> so yeah that seems like crazy <laughs> right so I, I I do know that I was probably really lucky that it was my parents that came and picked me up and 
and took me to Utah. You know, we went on a plane. I don't really remember anything about that. I think I was pretty numb at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, knowing that a lot of people end up, you know, getting escorted and, like, kidnapped, you know, <laughs> that is lucky that my parents were the one that took me. Um. Yes, but it's, you know... It has its own trauma, though, right? I mean, your parents are kind of um, that that betrayal, right? Is pretty um, apparent in both ways, I think. Yeah, well, and I think even if you're going to a good program, you know, that it's still traumatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your parents are still leaving you there, <laughs> right? There's, yeah. yeah. Um, so were you told? I know you went to um, the Aspen Behavioral Assessment Center, which I've heard about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's basically just like a place where they test you yeah, and so, then figure out where to send you. Yeah, is that, I mean, is that right? It's sort of like another type. I mean, it's a lockdown unit. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I mean, the main focus there, I think, um, it, you know, is, is, you know, watching the kids and sort of like, you know, do, evaluating them for, I don't know, like all sorts of different, you know, like PTSD and autism and, you know, behavior. When I, when I first got there thinking that like, it was totally like heaven compared to the psych ward. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's, you know, it, Utah is pretty, I mean, it is sort of out in the middle of nowhere, but um, you know, it's not like this really like prison, like, you know, facility where there's, high walls and you know all that sort of stuff was your day-to-day life in there I mean was it like its own kind of program or did you just kind of like wake up and have therapy it was very different um than the program that I was in afterwards I think um Mm -hmm. I think I was pretty lucky um that the staff there at the time were good to me um so we kind of, we had, um, we didn't really have much therapy. It was kind of like we had, we had school, but it wasn't really, you know, all be, like all these kids are on, you know, different grades and stuff. So school was really kind of not school. It was kind of like you could sit there and like draw or you could, our teacher had like a video game system in there where he would play Mario Kart with kids. Um Oh, that's educational. Right. So it's, it was definitely not an educational type um, experience. And then let's the things that I don't remember about Aspen. And I think that that's kind of, that's a little disturbing when you don't remember things. Um, just because I know that abuse did happen at that program. I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. it, don't, I don't think it happened when I was there. Um, I think that there I do vaguely remember there being a like timeout room or I don't know what it, you know, a room like a solitary confinement type room. Um, I never was in it, thankfully. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I actually ended up getting really sick um, at Aspen. Um, and so I think that probably is why I don't remember, have a good memory of a bunch of things. Um, we yeah because there's a lot of um there's a lot of talk about aspen and the abuse that's happened there right yeah um and you know and they've changed their names since um 
awesome, which is always kind of like a, a red flag for, you know, something went on there, right? Um, yeah. But, um, so, you know, so my memories of Aspen aren't, aren't, aren't like the program that I went to next. Um, mm-hmm. I did get the swine flu when I was at Aspen. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was weird because, so they gave us all the, um, the nasal, um, vaccine or whatever, I, the, um, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that they do that anymore for flu, <laughs> Um, but it was yeah. just, kind of, yeah, just the, I don't know, they just squirted up your nose and they're like, okay, you're vaccinated for swine flu or whatever. Um, and I fully believe that that's where I got the swine flu from because there was nobody mm. else um, that was sick. Uh, and, you know, it, we, we all had, we all had that. And then a couple days later, um, I remember I started, I started coming down with it. Um, and I, I think it's, it's normal to have, you know, like mild sort of symptoms after, you know, a vaccination, you know, like maybe a small fever or whatever, but not like the full fledged mm-hmm. flu. Um, right. and I got really sick. Um, and I remember, you know, being in bed with, uh, like 105, 106 fever, um, and I remember the nurse coming in and feeling my head. And at this point, my fever was so high that I was, you know, the room is kind of like spinning and, you know, you're out, you're uh, out of it, you know. And I just remember him coming in, feeling my head and saying like, okay, we're going to the ER. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my God. So I feel very lucky that they um, <laughs> didn't just leave me there to die, <laughs> you know, that I, yeah. you know, that I did get medical care. Um and I believe they just, you know, did whatever tests they did to figure out <laughs> that you had the swine flu and gave me Tamiflu, um, which I think is um, what helped the most because I kept getting really high fevers and the Tamiflu um, helped my body kind of fight that, fight it off. Um, but I was, I was sick for a while um, with, with that and I ended up getting a lung infection afterwards. So I remember having to go back the hospital to get oh wow an inhaler or something I don't really remember what they did that time um and then the third time I got sick um it was with some stomach infection really bad stomach infection you know like couldn't keep anything down and of course this always happens in the middle of the night um so mm-hmm. then we went back <laughs> to the ER for that um and I think they just gave me like anti-nausea meds and sent me back but it was quite the long process um and I think that that really you know it really messed up my like immune system um which made Mm -hmm. me more vulnerable for for things at my next program so when I had the stomach infection I was just like on the tail end of that when I was taken to the next program. Um, so you went straight from there to the next yeah. one. So my dad came and uh, took me to Maple Lake, and um, I don't. I don't think my mom was with him at that time, and I, I don't know why. I, maybe they told him only one person could come or something. I'm not sure, um, but uh, I, you know. I, 
it's kind of this is kind of funny to me but uh looking back but I you know I was on the tail end of this stomach virus and I believe they told everybody that like it wasn't contagious or something because <laughs> they thought it was just like an infection I had but um mm-hmm. when I went when I ended up at Maple Lake um you know they didn't let me go like on sick bed to make sure that I wasn't like contagious um you know, I kind of just got thrown into the, into the program and a couple girls ended infected up infected everybody. Yeah, a couple <laughs> girls did end up getting a stomach, a stomach thing. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I, t- I told you, <laughs> I told you I was still sick. Um, yeah, <laughs> but you're a manipulative, troubled teen. So. Right. So, you know, nobody believed me. Um, unfortunately, I right. think it was the girls that paid with that one instead of the staff <laughs> yeah but unfortunately unfortunately yeah so so you got sent to uh maple lake academy yes um and you were there for a really long time yeah um for about about um it's it was from about november 2009 to um around like august 2011 um, I had actually turned 17 at, like, right before I left Aspen to go to Maple Lake. A lot of people, I, I got kind of tricked into staying past my 18th birthday. Um, yeah, which I did too. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, people don't really understand when I tell them that. Yeah. Because they think that you can just leave at your birthday. Yeah. And it doesn't work like no, that. No, it does not work like that at all. Um, you know, but and by you know, and by the time you do turn eighteen, oftentimes I think you already are sort of brainwashed to a certain point. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, so did you? Um, did they explain to like? Did your dad tell you on the way? what you were kind of getting into or did you just go into completely blind? So I knew, um, I knew a little bit cause um, at Aspen they actually had the like director from Maple Lake that came and talked to me. Um, and my parents actually went and visited some schools, um, including Maple Lake before they decided for me to go there. Um, okay. You know, and you know, I, as I found out later, um, you know, even just visiting a program like that, like, doesn't really mean that there's nothing going on because, right. right. Cause yeah. Cause there's definitely, um, from our point of view, you know, whenever somebody was visiting, it was always, you know, cleaning like crazy and, you know, so just hiding. Mm-hmm. It's not like they could talk to the girls alone. Um, right (laughs) they're not getting a clear picture at all I mean yeah Um, it looked good and I mean to anybody it looks it looked good on the outside right so yeah yeah. I mean but your parents did um I feel like from just hearing that they did try to research they definitely my parents definitely did um did their best um you know and Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think they always think that I'm still angry at them or that I should be angry at them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, honestly, I'm not. And because, um, 
you know, because I know, you know, I know just like the amount of stuff that went in on our side to sort of like cover things up, you know. Um, so, yeah. you know, they were they were con just like lots of just like we all were just like we all were yeah so yeah yeah unfortunately um, and they had an educational consultant yeah. that they um consulted with who i guess oh wow yeah so i i think i think my therapist at home actually was the one that pointed them towards this educational consultant um uh, that's that's my knowledge anyway so yeah so they were getting a lot of information from a lot of different people that this place was right. a right. good place and you know so your time um at maple lake kind of bring me into that world what was that like i know that's like a big question yeah, so maple <laughs> lake um maple lake was it's supposed to be a program for teenagers um you know like on the spectrum or you know they claimed you know they claimed to treat you know kids on the spectrum or you know kids with depression anxiety mood disorders you know the whole nine yards um so most of the girls Mm -hmm. if if not all of the girls there had some level of communication trouble um at least Mm -hmm. I was told that (laughs) I don't you know now talking to some friends later you know, they're like, well, I actually never had autism or, you know, oh, so, wow. um, but you know, not all the girls went to like an assessment assessment place like I did before. So, um, mm-hmm. Maple Lake was a lot, lot, way different from Aspen. Um, and I think just being thrown right into the program, from Aspen where I was kind of living the sweet life of playing guitar hero all day and uh going on fun trips and stuff was way different because we had a super you know very strict schedule um we had lots of lots of therapy um we did group therapy and and we did rec therapy which is like recreational therapy I don't and we also had um individual therapy um the big thing with Maple Lake was you know we had horses at Maple Lake and they claimed to do equine therapy whereas you know they I think they told my parents that they got that the girls got to like ride like three times a week or something, which was definitely not true. I feel like the majority of things done with the horses was you know, labor, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And and I and we had tons and tons of chores at Maple Lake, and you know I do see a value in having you know some chores, right? Um, but mm-hmm. things often would get pretty excessive in that. Um, in that department um on Sundays you know we would like deep clean the house which I never really understood because you know we had tons of chores in the morning and then we had tons of chores in the evening and then you know so like the house was already clean (laughs) you're like it doesn't need to be deep clean like there's nothing there it's already very clean yeah so (laughs) Um, you know, and, and a lot of times, 
the equine therapy or the horse therapy was, you know, like deep cleaning the barn or stuff like that, you know, that was also not really Mm -hmm. necessary because part of our nightly (laughs) morning chores was like sweeping every like last inch of hay off of the floor. Right. So, um, and that was just like a everyday kind of thing that wasn't like punishment. No, so um, there was um punishment too, but the main, you know, so we yeah, the it it was part of like the daily schedule of we would have we would wake up and we would have morning chores, and then we would have breakfast, and then we would do school, which wasn't really, I mean, it was accredited. Like I did graduate from there, so, um, and then. After school, we had lunch, and then we had group therapy, and then we had rec therapy, and then we had, like, evening chores. Um, And there were some times where punishments were, um, you know, were extra chores, but for the most part, um, the, the consequences were just weird things, um, which... I can go over kind of the the discipline or, or levels um, sort of um, that we had. They weren't really levels, but, um, you know, they claim that they're not levels, but it's basically the same thing <laughs> as levels, um, <laughs> you know, and they, they always would say stuff like, well, this is a natural consequence or something um, of your actions or whatever, and you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure um, a natural consequence isn't, like, being put on communication block with the whole community or, you know, like, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it was a light system is how they do it. So when you first come in to the program, you're on um, arm's length with the staff at all times. That's what it's called. So basically, mm-hmm. yeah, you have to walk around with the staff at all times. Um, and you were on green light, which basically meant that, like, you were in trouble. So you could you could watch the movie that we had every week on, I think it was Saturday every week. We got to watch a movie if you were on, you know, a good status. <laughs> um, and then... There was yellow light, which is where you were um, within line of sight from a staff at all times, and you uh, couldn't go off campus. So each week there was like an activity on Friday that you could qualify for if you filled out this like token sheet where your staff would have to sign their signature off on like every tiny little thing you did, like brushing your teeth. You have to, you would have to ask them, can you sign this? And they'd sign it. Like, you know, like um, mm-hmm. little things like that. And if you had enough uh, signatures, then you could go on the activity for that, for that week. Um, but if you were. Right. I mean, it sounds pretty similar to, it's a point yeah, and level exactly. system. Yeah, it's basically the same yeah. thing. So, so yeah, on yellow light, you couldn't go off campus and you couldn't watch the movie. And then the worst status was red light, which was where you had to be, again, on arm's length with the staff at all times. You couldn't touch the animals. 
you um, couldn't go off campus, um, you know, you couldn't watch the movie, you didn't get your, like, week weekend phone call with your parents, um, you didn't get mail, mm-hmm. you couldn't send mail, um, and then there was also, like, some safety statuses, so you could be, like, on red light and on safety, which meant that you, um, had to be on scrubs, like, they would make you wear scrubs that they had in their closet, they would take away your shoes, um, and if you were really naughty, (laughs) um, you had to either (laughs) sleep on your mattress out in the living room at nighttime, or you got to sit on your mattress all day, uh, in the living room, um, and you couldn't talk to anybody. You were on communication block with everyone, except for your staff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, let's say you got really close to another girl in terms of, like, oh, you were becoming friends, and you were, like, talking a lot. You know, they could decide, like, oh, well, that's mm-hmm. not acceptable, so we're going to put you on comm block with with your friends. So then you're like, oh, crap. You know, basically yeah. just kind of anything to make your life miserable. And then, then there was also certain safety statuses where, you know, you couldn't go outside, like if you were run risk. Um, and they also, mm-hmm. you know, there was also a different safety status where, you know, you, you weren't on your mattress, but you were on what they call tether, which was basically a leash that you were um, leashed to a staff member, like around your wrist, not like around your neck, but um the idea of that was so that you would learn how to communicate with that staff member because you're because you're connected by on a leash with them. But the, the issue with that is it's not like you're at the same level as a staff member, like in terms of respect, you know. So basically, the staff right. member could kind of just like tug you around wherever they wanted to go, right? <laughs> There was no Mm -hmm. really communication of like, oh, well, let's walk this way or, you know, it was kind of just, you know, another, another method of control, basically. So when you're on safety status, um, you have to have a staff like standing at the doorway of the bathroom, like watching you um, with one eye. Uh-huh. I don't know, you know, who know, who really knows, like, if they were actually just watching you all the way, or if they were doing what they were supposed to, um, you know, so, um, right. and same <laughs> with, like, showers, or, like, same with, same with that, um, so, um, and mm-hmm. later on in the program, when I, you know, was on mattress, and I was on scrubs, and I was on comm block, and you name it, I was on it, um, they would actually, like, be in the bathroom with me while I was showering, like, watching, which is very mm-hmm. disturbing. Um, yeah, and yeah. also they would do, like, strip searches. Um, I don't know if any other girls were ever on this status. Um, I mean, I'm assuming there has to have been other girls. You know, I mean, my main issue coming in there was self-harm, so... But they definitely took the safety stuff a lot farther than I think it needed to go because it's not like there was much that you could harm yourself with, right? But, you know, you had daytime staff that, you know, came in the morning and then left, like, late in the afternoon. 
and then you would have like the evening staff and so I would have um Mm -hmm. strip searches twice a day one for each um shift the thing was with that was you know I feel like it was mostly a humiliation um technique because I don't feel like you really need you don't need to have that twice a day um and but the most um I guess demeaning thing about that would be that um they before they would give me my clothes back they would always say ask for two emotions and I think that's just yeah, they were like, you have what? to see what two emotions that you're feeling before you can have your clothes back. And I feel like, you're like, oh. well, obviously, obviously, like, this is a very humiliating, demeaning thing. So asking a kid what emotions they're feeling is stupid, right? Because obviously, they're going to be embarrassed and, like, <laughs> mad or, you know? Um, and I remember just yeah. not wanting not wanting them to know that I was feeling that way, I guess. <laughs> so I remember always, like, telling them, like, bullshit emotions. <laughs> and and I, I, I fought the program for, like, the whole first, the whole first year, I would say. I was pretty much always, um, always on bad statuses and in trouble. You know, I didn't want... You know, at some level, you know, I knew what they were doing was wrong, um, and I didn't, like, want to give them Mm -hmm. the pleasure of, like, winning. I think everybody, you know, gets broken down because at some point you realize that, you know, you're like, if you want to actually make it out of here, you kind of do, you just do what you have to do, you know, and and if you're, and if you're not listening and you're being naughty in their terms, it's, it doesn't do you any good. Hold them holds, um, and where they it would tackle you to the ground and like hold hold your arms, um, and depending on if you were fighting, then they would have like more people or more staff that would help. Um, in my case, I since I do have a lot of sensory issues. Um, when I would get upset about something, um, I, when I, you know, when I was upset about something and I, I couldn't stand like the human touch, like somebody touching me. And so I almost sort of disassociated when somebody would like grab me. I'm, you know, I would just automatically, I think like mm-hmm. respond by like trying to get out of it. Um, because, because touch was such a, um, difficult like thing for me you know um even if I'm not angry or whatever (laughs) the holds would go on for sometimes like hours I feel like um uh there are you know and there are a couple times that um you know they were holding my arms or my wrists so tight that you know they would actually bruise and like swell up a little bit after I got out of the hold um they also used medication sometimes, um, not shots or anything, but like um, they would like shove down a sedative down your mouth or something while somebody held your mouth open. Um, so in the oh. end, I think I was probably the person that was in the most holds um, for a good while there.
um, at least at at the start of my program. And I don't know, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're teaching you that you're the problem, that you're the one that like broke your family, you know, that, that you're selfish, like, and, and all this stuff. And, you know, that exaggerates whatever issues that you had coming in, um, you know, and so mm-hmm. for me, my coping mechanism was self-harm. Um, and so, you know, there were times that I managed to I get my hands on something and like self-harm and that you know but there are also a lot of times that holds were not um used to keep somebody safe you know like you know even if somebody is a kid is self-harming I feel like the all they really need to do is take that away from them and like get the kid out you know like and distracted doing something else right Mm -hmm. you don't just you don't just put a kid in hold for like hours and hours um, I thought I deserved it, you know, and I, so I didn't really realize that that was not an appropriate way of dealing with the issue. You know, I thought that like, that was just what happened when you were bad, you know? Um, I don't think I, yeah, I don't think I, mm-hmm. I don't think I connected that like, there was another way of like going about this, you know, because, you know, it's not like you have access the outside world it's not like you can just call your parents up and be like well they're doing this um you know whenever I was able to talk to my family it was either in family therapy where my therapist was there controlling the phone or it was you know a weekend call where staff is standing in there like writing down everything that you said so there was no you know opportunity to say anything about that um which is again right um, I mean what was your what was your therapy so like? um yeah we had individual therapy so all the girls had a therapist um and then we had um rec mm-hmm. therapy where which and the rec therapist was for all the girls um and rec therapy was really bad um our rec therapist was extremely abusive um she was very verbally abusive um and I that's something that I remember from the like from the very first day that I you know came in everybody was terrified of her um she was very you know the 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 types of things that we would do in rec therapy were kind of group activities or like sort of were you know tasks that you had to do as a group um and you know they used blindfolds sometimes um you know sometimes we for an example for a task would be where we all had to climb over a horse stall in the barn um and we would all be like connected to each other somehow like one person's wrist would be tied to another girl's like <laughs> foot or, you know, and like some girls were like blindfolded. Um, and, you know, we would have to manage as a group to climb over like this horse stall, um, all connected. She would yell at us. She would call us little shits. She would, um, 
you know, we were just terrified of her. Well, I think all of us were terrified of her, except for maybe the girls that, like, were her favorites. Um, and, you know, on Fridays, we would have long rec days where, like, we didn't have school. We basically just did rec all day. Um, and usually, you know, we would do, like, a group task or whatever, and, you know, she'd be yelling at us or, like, saying, like, you know, kind of connecting, like, you know, she would pick on individual girls, sort of, and say, like, you know, if they messed up, she'd be like, well, how is that, like, you know, what you were doing at home, how, you you know, you were being selfish to your parents, um, you know, and we'd do this group task, and we'd finish it, and then she would usually take us to get a treat from the, gra- from the gas station, which um, was always really bizarre. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I think even at that time, I saw that as okay well you're gonna like tell us how horrible we are and like how you know how we've ruined our families and everything and then you're just gonna go take get us a treat you know um and it yeah right a lot of abusers do that the the husband you know who abuses his wife and beats her up and then comes home with roses or whatever you know that's how they I think that's how they brainwash people um you know so Mm -hmm. so rec therapy was always um you never knew what mood she would be in (laughs) you know she could be in a really great mood or she could be like really in a bad mood like yelling at kids and um you didn't dare cry in rec therapy you know it wasn't always tasks sometimes we would like sit down in a group and like talk um I remember girls you know crying and you know naturally you put your head down to cry right and she would you know she would Mm -hmm. you know tell yell at them and say oh you're throwing a pity party and then she even would come up and yank that girl the girl's hair um so back so that she would have to put her head up while she was crying um that never happened to me (laughs) I got really really good at um not crying and you know yeah kind of burying stuff which is kind of what I came in with anyway you know um, even if you were doing everything right there, she would find something to nitpick about um <clears throat> you know and yeah, yeah I mean there was always always something there's yeah. always something <laughs> I, don't, I mean I, maybe she yelled at me for not crying I don't really remember I just remember always being very like cautious <laughs> you know um because you know mm-hmm. and whenever you were going to rec therapy or you it was like walking on eggshells because you didn't know um you didn't know if today was the day she picked on you you didn't know yeah I mean and I do remember a couple instances where staff would be like okay you know like that's like too much you know like they would tell her like that you know because um one of the new girls I remember and we were doing a a task in the barn where we had to like the girls were holding wooden boards and we had to climb over them or something and the new girl that day was terrified to do it and was trying to like get out of rec therapy and Carrie um was just bashing her and yelling and screaming and and the staff that was that was with with us um you know was like okay like that's enough, you know, because she always would just go way overboard. 
Um, you know, and even staff would, there were certain staff that actually would stand up for us. Um, but most of them were afraid of her as well. You know, if we had somebody who was actually like nice to us and like good to us, I would say that some of the tasks that we did were fun. They weren't all horrible. Um, it was just, right. it was just her that made it horrible. And obviously you've got to have somebody right. who's not <laughs> making everybody terrified. Right. You know, so, um, mm-hmm. Well, and I think a lot of the stuff we did, you know, my program had seminars and there was a lot of um, processes in those where I could see a lot of value in that. Um, But they like took it to an abusive level. Yeah, they always took it too far, you know. Um, Yeah. Right. They took this like great idea and looking back, you say, oh, this is like such a, I can like, I could learn something from that saying or from that. Um, but then it's tied to all this, all this abuse and right. negativity where it's not, yeah, you can't think, gain uh, anything from that. True. And a lot of things that they always just took it too far. Um, yeah, um, I would, I would agree with that. You know, um, unfortunately our rec therapist was somebody who trained a lot of people in Utah uh she worked at new haven before she came to maple lake um and Mm -hmm. you know there's been girls that i've talked to you know from new haven that knew her and at least most of the people i talked to are all all have like kind of the same experience of her being really um you know verbally abusive and and uh nasty and stuff won awards in utah for being like the best rec therapist um and i i feel like that just kind of yeah like oh, wow. you know and that they have this is a natsap program you know so they have they have their own sort of seminars um or training or i don't know whatever you want to call it um i think that kind of shows like if mm-hmm. there's somebody like that that's able to win awards and like be so well known Without, you know, whereas the people that she's um, abused, you know, there's tons of girls out there, you know, it's like, it just kind of shows how kind of messed up the system is that somebody like that could be rewarded. She took some of us um, to this like class or something that she was teaching at BYU um, one time and we had to like stand up and like tell our story but it was not like telling our story it was like saying you know what what horrible thing you were doing at home you know that like you know that was like ruining your family that made you get sent here or whatever so so how so how did your regular one-on-one therapist um, differ from her um well he was abusive in his own ways um it was a guy um i believe there were three therapists at Maple Lake, like individual therapists, and they kind of just split the girls up between them. Um, this is, this is a small place. Like it's a house, it's like a big house sort of. Um, and there's only about like 14 girls at a time. So it relative to a lot of programs, mm. it's, it's pretty small. Um, my individual therapy was 
kind of abusive in other ways. Um, I remember coming to him and telling him, you know, something that I thought at, this is like at the start when I first got there. I remember coming and telling him something that our rec therapist did in rec therapy that I thought was really wrong. And I don't remember what it was <laughs> at this point. I just remember, you know, telling him that because I was like, oh, well, maybe, you know, like, he'll, you know, maybe he'll do something right. For some reason, I thought that this person was actually going to be like a therapist to me, right? Um, but instead, um, right. the next time that I came into therapy, my rec therapist was sitting on the couch crying, um, saying that, oh, I thought that, I thought that we had a good relationship. I thought you loved me, you know, like just such a like narcissistic type victim type act, you know, like making me feel guilty mm-hmm. for coming to an adult about something that was abusive um and that I think that's when I kind of learned that like okay I can't trust anybody um honestly growing up I never really had a good therapist that that kind of was like that for me I feel like they always would tell my parents everything and um I wouldn't you know I didn't really trust Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever trust any therapist (laughs) so he was not um, he was not good, kind to me. He was very, um, you know, it was kind of the same with, with the rec therapist where you walk in and you just don't know what mood he's going to be in today. Um, so every week we had something called team on Wednesday where all of like the supervisors from each shift and like all the therapists and like the directors of the program would be up in the loft and they would um go you know they would talk about each girl and you um they would call you up there sometimes or you could request to come up there because we had um a program that we were supposed to be working on called success um where there were like each there were things Mm -hmm. in each um under each letter, like safety, um, understanding, communication. I don't remember all of them (laughs) where you had to like get stuff checked off to kind of advance in the program. And like, yeah. So in each Wednesday, like each Wednesday, they would, um, you know, talk about each girl and like, I don't know (laughs) what good things they were doing or what bad things they were doing. And if you wanted to progress in your program, and get these things checked off to move on, you would have to go up there and, like, present it in front of them, um, which which was super, right. you know, super nerve-wracking, right? Um, and also, even, you know, they could call you up mm-hmm. just to, like, yell at you, you know, like, you didn't really know. Yeah, um, and I feel like that's kind of mainly yeah. what it was. Um, you know, going up to team was always... Yeah, everybody, you know, everybody's up there and, you know, maybe, maybe today your therapist is saying how great you're doing. Your individual therapist is saying how great you're doing and everything. And other people agree and you're like, oh, phew, you got that over with. And then later that day, I would go up to individual therapy and just get yelled at. And I would be so confused because it was this whole 
you know, like, well, in front of everybody else, my therapist is saying how great I'm doing. But then, like, when I'm alone with him, he's telling me that I'm doing awful, you know, and I was getting, I, I, it was one of those things where you're getting mixed messages and you just are, like, really confused. And I think that was, like, the point of it, <laughs> you know? Um, there were a lot of times they would call yeah. girls up to team. Um, I, and I feel like it was just to pick on them, you know, and, like, harass them in front of everybody. I mean, there weren't any other girls up there, you know, it was mm-hmm. one girl at a time, but still, like, you've got all the therapists up there, you've got the rec therapists, you've got, like, the directors of the program, you know, like, the supervisor for each shift, there were four staff on each shift, um, you know, so basically all the, like, important people that are making decisions about your life um, are there. It be- yeah, right. and I... And it's yeah, attack therapy. I guess, I guess, yeah. I guess that would be how you would uh, describe it (laughs) you know I mean it wasn't really it's not like there were other girls attacking you in that in that sense even though you kind of could in rec therapy but it was more of um, it was more of the adults sort of you know attacking you and my individual therapist I feel was um very he was abusive but it was kind of in a weird (laughs) twisted way so, um, for instance, one time, this was near the start of my stay, you know, um, in the evening, you know, sometimes he would stay, like, in, before we were going to bed, which I think is also weird, because the his office was right across from one of the girls' rooms, you know, and the girls aren't, the girls aren't allowed to close their door, right? Oh. So, it's awkward when you've got a male therapist who's leaving at, like, 10 o'clock, and you've got girls in bed or girls in pajamas and the room's right across from there. Like, that's weird. You know, I mean, he wasn't, I never have known him to be sexually abused Ugh. or anything like that, but I still think that that's inappropriate. Um, yeah, I think that's inappropriate. And I don't think I realized, we, <laughs> I don't think we realized it at the time, honestly. Um, but so one of the first yeah. times um, with, with him was, he was telling he was telling me that he was desensitizing me to pain because we were you know here we were going over you know self harm things and that's the thing with him is I I don't know if he was you know really actually trying to help and then he just took it too far or if he was actually trying to be abusive so what he did was we had he took out an ice cube. And he said, so, you know, I'm desensitizing you to pain. You know how, like, when you put an ice cube on your arm and you leave it there, it hurts, you know? He's like, well, your sensory system is, like, messed up or something, and you're you're liking it or something. And he made me hold this ice cube on my arm for, I don't know how long, like, 45 minutes. Like, long enough that, like, it was agony. Um, and he's just sitting there, you know? saying like you know you making it sound like this was a tactic to make it so I didn't like pain anymore sort of you know but he's like well if you here you know you like pain so here's pain yeah and if you've ever you know held an ice cube or like for more than a couple seconds you know it, it starts hurting you know um so leaving leave yeah leaving that on your arm for yeah it's painful however long um and I think the the thing that was most disgusting about that is that 
here I am for self-harm and they're telling me what a horrible thing it is and how selfish it is to my family and everything. And here he's making me self-harm. You know, he's giving me this ice cube and he's telling me you have to hold it to your arm and you're, we're just going to sit here and you just have to hold it to your arm. You know, like that's self-harming, right? <laughs> like, so there was just so many weird right. <laughs> mixed messages, you know, like here I would get in so much trouble for self-harming yet it's okay to self-harm when he tells me to. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, and it, I it was, I just remember, like, I think I, I remember just being very, very confused, you know? Um, I was, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. what kind of therapy is this? But I think that's part of, part of the brainwashing is that you don't realize, you don't know, like, maybe this is a therapy technique, right? Like, you don't know. It's not like you have knowledge of mental right. health or anything. You know, and and in another activity, you know, he Mm -hmm. would make me go outside and we'd like walk down the road there. Um, Maple Lake is like in the middle of nowhere as well. It's like all farmland, but there is a paved road out there, you know, but he would make me um, bend over and pick up anything that was sharp. Um, And and I didn't want to do this, right? (laughs) I was like, this is dumb. What am I doing? You know, and I would say no, or I would just like not pick it up or whatever, but he, we would just stand there until I picked it up. <laughs> and so and then he would come back in and show, show everyone like walk around saying like, this is Kristen's sharp jar. Uh, I don't really see any other reason yeah. for that other than to, to trigger someone, honestly, you know, and I say, I was no, I was not suicidal going into this program. Um, sure. I was self-harming and I was numb, but I wasn't suicidal. I wouldn't say I was actively seeking to die. Right. I was more of like the kind of like, oh, well, if it happens, uh, you know, whatever. (laughs) That's not really like actively suicidal. But um, yeah, after I was stuck on a mattress for a good amount of time, I think that's when I really did become suicidal because um, you're just sitting on a mattress all day. You can't talk to anyone. You can't get up and, like, go exercise. Um, you can't sleep during the day when you're on mattress. Um, you just have to sit there. Um, and it's just very um, demeaning. And I, I remember the last time that I was on mattress, I remember asking to see the student handbook manual because I wanted to look at the student rights because... I knew that it was wrong and I knew it was abuse. Um, of course, no one ever gave me the handbook. Um, but I do remember asking for it. Of course that. Um, <laughs> and I actually was on mattress right before my 18th birthday. And I was fully planning on getting the heck out of there when I turned 18. Um, but he, but my therapist took me up and had me, he's like, okay, well, you need to stay and finish your treatment and like you have to sign this form saying that you're going to finish treatment or whatever you know it wasn't it wasn't a choice it's not like I could say I don't want to sign that I want to leave right <laughs> you know like you have to sign it so I signed it um mm-hmm. and then he told me that if I did leave I could never go home 
because my parents didn't want me back if I hadn't finished the program. Um, and I fully believed him. I was like, oh, so if I leave, I don't have anywhere to go because I can't go home. Um, you know, I don't have money. I, you know, I'm in Utah. Mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Like, so it was another kind of reminder of just like how utterly alone you were. Um, and it's also another like hit yeah. when you're, you know, that you're like technically like legal now. Yet it doesn't make any difference because mm-hmm. um, you're still stuck there. So how did those months look between turning 18 so, and finally um, leaving? Yeah, and they to- apparently he told my parents that he had talked to me because about just fin- finishing school. And so that's why I would stay. And, you know, obviously he didn't tell my parents about, about the threats. Um, near the end before, near the end before I left, I was working the program, I would say, um, you know, I was doing my best to get everything, like, uh, checked off in success so I could, like, move up and get Dreams. And Dreams was basically this status that you could get if you finished all the stuff in, in the success manual. And Dreams is basically where you got to um, have more freedom. Like, you could stay up later. You could watch a movie on the weekend. You could pick what snack you wanted out of the pantry or you know like just just like stuff that we think is just normal human rights but is actually huge stuff right I did eventually get on dreams um and it was it was great and I think by that time I was definitely uh brainwashed to a point um and when I did leave I remember coming home and like, it only took me a couple days. And I remember just having this like sinking feeling of that was like total BS. Like, I'm pretty sure I didn't learn anything (laughs) about myself. Like it didn't fix the underlying issue. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I didn't really, I wouldn't say Mm -hmm. that I really like fully realized the level of abuse and stuff until like just recently I think it took it took me a good a good 10 years because you know I would have like nightmares or something and then I would kind of just like shove down those memories because I didn't want to think about it about the start of COVID I think maybe COVID kind of kick spawns that 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 feeling of uh sort of being trapped maybe subconsciously um and that and that's kind of yeah I um Mm -hmm. woke up or whatever you want to call it (laughs) Um, the hardest things other than other than the mattress (laughs) and the scrubs and everything in the holds the holds were really bad but was the medical um neglect that happened at MLA so I when I went Mm -hmm. when I went to MLA um I didn't know that I had a I have a genetic connective tissue disorder um called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome um, and what that means is that like my joints are really loose and like I dislocate easily. Um, when I met, went to Maple Lake, I had really bad scoliosis. Um, since after Maple Lake, I ended up having a spinal fusion due to my scoliosis. And I ended up finding out that I had a condition called tethered cord, which is basically 
is also like something that you're born with Mm. but it causes um you know it caught that's what caused my scoliosis the curvature in my spine and that's what caused a lot of um utis and um you know back Mm -hmm. pain and all sorts of stuff so i we didn't know i had this genetic condition going in i had i mean i did have a lot of like weird medical things but it wasn't something that like we connected the dots to until a while after the program so there were there were a lot of medical issues that I had at MLA um and of course you know one of their things at MLA is they use that as like one of my issues like I was a hypochondriac and I was making this stuff up and you know that kind of thing um which which I think which I think is pretty common Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it also you know it also kind of made me think that like you know well maybe I am making this pain up like you know like when I left sort of you know it made me always question everything sort of um there were there were a good few times where something I really needed medical treatment that I didn't get um one time was when my friend and I were sitting on a porch swing outside eating lunch I think it was and we were sitting this porch swing had this like metal sculpture of like horses on the top that was it was heavy you know it was metal so it was like I don't know 10 pounds or something and and when we sat down um you know, to, to like swing and like gently swing and like eat lunch. We didn't know that it was eroded. Um, and this horse sculpture was like not secure. And since I was taller than my friend by quite a bit, we were just gently swinging and this horse sculpture fell off and it was probably like two feet above our head, my head, I would say. And it fell and it hit me in the head and it knocked me out. And when I came to, I was hunched over. Um, and, you know, like confused, like what just happened? <laughs> and I looked over and my friend's plate broke. And this is like a thick ceramic plate. Um, it, you know, it was broken in half. Um, and, you know, a staff was sitting there watching this happen. So it's not like you could say, oh, I made this up, right? But, um, you know, and I had a huge, you know, a huge bump on right. my head. <laughs> um, you know, I'm really lucky that it didn't crack my head open, um, <laughs> honestly. And we did have a nurse there. She yeah. was always there. Um, like, we had meds, but that was something that the staff gave us, which I think is illegal, but was dizzy. Like I couldn't walk straight. I had like the worst headache of my life. My neck was screwed up. I was vomiting. Um, you know, like all pretty common concussion signs that somebody with basic medical training would know. <laughs> and I was, you know, forced to do all yeah. the stuff like all you know like the horse tours of you know dragging 100 pound bales into the middle of the horse pen for the horses to eat and you know the kind of just you know sweeping the barn and then coming in and helping to clean the house 
I mean, it, it was just ridiculous and I should have gotten medical attention. And I wonder now if part of that is why I have neck instability as an adult. Um, I never really connected the mm-hmm. dots to that, like, because I think I would anyway do the connective tissue disorder, but for sure that didn't help. I'm, I was sick with a fever, which I rarely get because my immune system isn't great. Um, so when I do have a fever, it means that I'm pretty sick. Um, and the rec task that day was going to a field and picking up boulders and putting them in wheelbarrows. And I'm not really sure where the wheelbarrows went, but for some reason they knew I had a fever. They wouldn't give me any Advil or Tylenol and they made me go with to this field to pick up rocks and for hours on end we were just walking around this field picking up rocks and putting them in wheelbarrows and you know they they weren't like little rocks they were heavy um and I had I had chills and you know I felt awful and I was already sore and here we are doing this really stupid task which I wouldn't even call as a task I would call it child labor because there was no point of just going to a random field and having children pick up rocks for hours, right? Like, what's that even doing? Yeah. Right? Um, no yeah, reason. It's bizarre. And they, and they knew I was sick, too. So, like, they could have put me on sick bed is what they called it. But instead, my therapist always wanted me to work through whatever mm-hmm. pain there was because they thought that I was a hypochondriac, you know? Um, right. So, you know, another time, this huge bench that we were, like, at our table, this bench is, like, 12 feet long, maybe more, and it's super heavy wood. We were cleaning up before rec therapy, and actually, our rec therapist was in the kitchen helping, surprisingly. Um, this, it's, the whole bench fell right on my big toenail. I don't think I, I think I might have screamed. Um, the response that I got from our rec therapist, because we were supposed to be going to rec therapy then, was, well, I dropped a, a stone, stepping stone on my foot, and I walked right after. And you're like, good for you. <laughs> like, no, but, you know, I had to go to rec therapy and wobble around. Um, uh, you know, another time I had this weird rash type thing that was under my arm and I think I showed the nurse and she's like oh whatever it's fine and then it got infected um you know and again I think I showed the nurse she's like oh you'll be fine I don't know how long they waited um till it was <sighs> till they finally took me to the doctor but it was bad enough that the the dermatologist or whatever had to give me numbing shots there and like scrape off the infection like the top layer of it anyway um oh wow and you can imagine once the numbing shots wore off it hurt really bad because it was infected um and you know there wasn't any oh you know well maybe you can go to your room and rest you know it was here the numbing shot is wearing off and I'm forced to go back to rec therapy and I'm getting yelled at for holding my arm up (laughs) weird because it hurt, you know. Um, the on call, the on call nurse that we had though was really sweet. Yeah. Not the main nurse, but the on call nurse, and she was the one that took me that day. 
and she, to be nice, she took me to pick up sandwiches and ate lunch with me in the park. Um, so she was really, really sweet. Um, you know, but she had to take me back, obviously. Um, but you know, she she was she was actually like a good human <laughs> who act, you know actually cared. The staff were 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 bad. I mean, there were definitely some that had favorites and weren't not very nice. But overall, the staff were really young. Um, and they were in college. They were just college students, right? Um, they were trained yeah. and told what to do by the program directors. And, you know, I get, I mean, but they're still responsible, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you would hope that in a situation like that, um, any good human would see that something happened was not right. Um, and would do something about it instead of just staying. You know, I don't yeah. know. Maybe there, maybe they did report things. You know, we just obviously we never heard about it. Um, halfway through my stay, they changed the way they did restraints because I think they were thinking that the girls were acting out to get restrained because they were starved for that um, human contact. There was a couple times that I was restrained while I was on my stomach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have fingers that would, like, dislocate and stuff. And at the time, I thought that was normal. I didn't know that that was part of, like, the condition I had. Um, but they had cha- they changed the restraints to be trigger point pain restraints. Um, and I remember them trying the first time that they tried it out. It was... Um, on one of my best friends and she just refused to go to school and they restrained her and were pushing on her pressure points until she was screaming in pain. She's like, fine, I'll go to school. Right. Like they still wouldn't stop. It's not like she was being unsafe. You know, she was just not ready to go to school because she woke up and she was mad or who knows, you know, I remember watching that and just being like horrified like I, I even though I was I was almost on dreams at that time I think um but I remember you know just like some of the most traumatic things I think are things that you see happen to friends and know that you have no like control over it mm-hmm. you know it's not like I could go and save her yeah. or something which More is something that's just so weird to me like you've got a kid who's like self-harming and they're like, oh, let's put her in a painful restraint. Like, isn't that the same thing? And I think to this day, I feel like the worst things for me were more of the psychological type abuse that happens. You know, the the, the type of abuse that, like, mm-hmm. kind of changes your inner voice um, that you have to, like, fight daily, you know, to remind yourself, like, yeah. I was, you know, I'm not a bad person. Like, that wasn't my fault. Like, you know, because they pound that into your head that, like, all of your behaviors and everything, you know, was, like, bad and was aimed to hurt people or whatever. Like, my therapist yeah. made me um, made me say that the reason I was self-harming was to hurt my family. And it never was the reason, you know. And I remember fighting with him for a while because I was like, well, why would I hide it if I wanted to hurt them, right? Why would I want them to never find out? Um, 
yeah eventually I just gave in because I knew that I wasn't going to get anywhere with it um and I think eventually that is kind of like the brainwashing is you start to believe it um I think it kind of totally changes the way you view the world and the way you view yourself um I think the really tragic thing about that is that at least for me and I know a lot of the other girls going into this program we hated ourselves going into this program we (laughs) blamed ourselves for everything you know um and instead of having you know a safe support system that helped helped us to deal with you know whatever self hate we had or you know or maybe trauma that we had in our past or whatever and you know instead of doing that in a way that is helpful you know they kind of just drilled the whole selfish thing you know into your head um and I know at least for me even before going in there that was a problem that I had you know, so I didn't need that drilled into my head when I already believed it. You kind of also just question everything. You're like, well, did this really happen? <laughs> You're like, I know it really happened, but I feel like I was watching it happen to someone mm-hmm. else. And I think that's part of the way your body and your mind protects yourself, like the disassociation. Um, you don't have a choice. <laughs> you know, this is your therapist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's an abusive relationship. Um, you can't leave. You know, and I, I have... Yeah really bad fear of therapy for a really, really long time because I thought that therapy was painful. I mean, therapy is painful, but I thought that therapy was actually like, you know, like beating up on me or, you know, that kind of thing, you know, or like blaming me for everything. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that therapy was actually supposed to be helpful. Um, And I think I always blame myself saying like, oh, well, no one can help me. Like (laughs) therapy doesn't work for me when I never really actually had therapy there, right? Um, And I think that makes a lot of people, I think that's a really Mm -hmm. tragic thing that just all these programs do is that when kids leave and are adults, like, sure, they have a lot of trauma that needs to be worked out that they probably should be a therapist for, um, but they don't because they're scared and they just want to, like, move on with their lives, you know? Um, And it's not until you start kind of waking up and you realize just how much it affects every part of your life like food you know like it's that we were given a certain Mm -hmm. amount of food and we were we couldn't just like get up and clear our plate like they would tell you when you could clear your plate so and if you were sick you know it wasn't like they would just say oh you don't have to eat that like I still had to eat it um and so I think I do have a lot of like control issues in my life now you know, like I eat, I eat too much or whatever. And I think part of that is just because, yeah, the control, like I, you don't want anyone ever to like control you ever again, like how they controlled you there. Really, it took me like 10 years to fully like realize the extent of things that, that happened. Um, and I think that's probably partly just because you have to get into a certain place in your life where you feel safe and, your mind is old enough to be able to actually kind of go through um, the experiences that you had as a kid. Cause I was very, very much a kid, even when I turned 18, you know, I had no sense of anything in the world. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't even think I really knew I was an adult um, just cause 
I remember just being terrified of like what was going to happen next because um, I believed that I could never go home with panic attacks and um, at night and would be you know just freaking out and crying and uh, there were some there were some good staff that um, that helped me through that um, found out that there, the psychiatrist that would come every other, like every other month there was not licensed to work in Utah um so that was like that was a little terrifying mm-hmm. <laughs> um common story realizing that I realized that um they they definitely do use chemical or, you know they use meds to control you like I was on such a high dose of Seroquel I believe it was that I gained a ton of weight um and luckily my parents like came for like parents weekend or something and saw and since my mom is a nurse, she had a little bit more of <laughs> persuasion, I guess, of telling them that they needed to take me off of it. Um, but they, I, and I think partly that's why some of my memories are so fuzzy yeah. is because I was so drugged, you know. And then when I was in holds, they would like shove sedatives down yeah, your that's... throat. So then you would like wake up on your mattress. And then you would know that you would have to go to treatment team on Wednesday and go up there and have everybody yell and scream at you and tell you how horrible you were when all you wanted to tell them was that, I don't remember. I don't remember what I did. You know, like, how can you blame me for this when I don't even remember? Mm. You know, they would tell you that you were lying. And yeah, so, yeah. So basically just a lot of, uh, you know, no way to really uh, get your voice out, you know. Um, How did you leave? I left about a month or two before my 19th birthday. Um, I had finally finished the program. I got on Dreams, so I had extra privileges. And I finished high school. So um i was i was graduating at the same time that i was um leaving leaving the program um and i think so i think partly okay. because i was graduating was partly why i got to leave and also partly because i was going to be too old <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so um yeah that's that's really um and then the way that they do like the leaving ceremony is they kind of have all the staff come together and the parents and they kind of go around and like tell you memories that they have of you and they give each girl a like tote bag or something that has everybody's signatures on it and usually the picture that they would have you know like drawn or painted on there would be something nice like I don't know like somebody got a butterfly or whatever and they're like oh look now you're free or yeah some crap like that and I got the medical symbol (laughs) you know like that weird snake or whatever and um here I am on dreams and I finished the program and I got on a status that most people don't get on and my therapist is still trying to dig you know trying to dig that that thing in feeling in you of like oh you make stuff up and um I just remember it being so so devastated (sighs) because I was really looking forward to see you know this this bag that had something that represented me um 
because that, that was a big thing, you know, the girls got when they left. Um, and I just remember it just being another blow, you know, um, and not a nice one. You know, I, I just feel like he never, my therapist never um, could just let me enjoy something, you know. Um, you know, if I liked a certain staff to talk to because I felt comfortable, mm-hmm. he would put me on communication block. Um, my first home pass, he came home with me. Like, that's how controlling this guy was. Um, he, yeah, like, I think it was before the seventh oh. movie of Harry Potter. I was rereading the books in the little time that we had free, which was not much time at all, <laughs> like 10 minutes before bed, maybe. Um, so I was reading the Harry mm-hmm. Potter books and he came in and he's like, well, people like you can't read Harry Potter. And so he took away my privilege of reading fiction books. And so then I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I like history. <laughs> so I'll go <laughs> and read about <laughs> some of my special interests, like um like Russia <laughs> and then he would take that away and he said you can't read you can't read nonfiction. so basically I couldn't read anything and it, it's just so much control like anything that you found to be like interesting or like a pleasure or something interesting was taken away you know and there was always an fun like yeah your mental illness is bad enough that you can't go into the fantasy world because you'll get lost or, you know, some crap like that. We would have these dance teachers that would come over and we had to do this whole like dance singing program um, for parents weekend. You know, they make you go up there and like perform so that your parents think that you're like doing amazing things <laughs> or something and oh it's not like a choice it's not like well I don't want to sing <laughs> it's I would get like uh every more like the morning of parents weekend I remember always throwing up and um now I look back and I know that it was because there's just an insane amount of pressure on us um you know and 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 I really think that they kind of try to um set your parents against you and set the kids against their parents you know by lying so I faked having a fever so I could like actually recover and you know and and uh my therapist um of course said well you were never really sick um even though I had like pink eye and had to have antibiotics and I don't you know some like bronchitis or something you know it was definitely sick I went to the doctor I think um, so that's the weird thing. I think we went to the doctor for like things that really weren't that big of a deal. But then when there were like big things, like a concussion or an infection, like they didn't take you. <laughs> I'm really close to my How parents actually, parents? um, which is, which is really lucky. Um, they knew that I had a negative experience from Maple Lake, um, over the years, um, over the years I would maybe like mention something but I never, um, until recently, was kind of able to sit down and talk to them about it. Um, I, I was really afraid of their reaction because I did stop mm-hmm. self-harming. And so I um, I thought that everybody, you know, would say, well, you stopped hurting yourself, so the program must have worked, you know, or so- something like that. And I think partly 
it was harder for right. me um, t- to be able to sit down and, and, and talk to them, especially when I got, when I completed the program and like got on the status. I think that made it harder for me because it was, you know, I couldn't say, well, look, I never succeeded in this program. So it was abusive or, you know, um, and it wasn't until the Paris documentary mm-hmm. that was coming out that I actually like sat down and like told them about some of the things that happened that they didn't know about um and and they feel terrible about it um i know Mm. that they i remember them saying that they were scared of carrie or when they came for weekend for uh parents weekend because they would have the parents do tasks too (laughs) um obviously they were on their best behavior (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's like well you never really saw the real side of her but they believe, you know, they believed me because they were scared of her. Um, right. So, so, you know, and I partly why I didn't want to tell them was I don't, you know, I didn't want to blame things on them because I really, I didn't, re- I was really not angry at them for sending me away. Like, I know that I needed help. Um, and I know that they were just like following the suggestions of the specialists, um, that they were in contact with um you know so and I know that they were you know con to to a degree um so I I don't really see a point right in, um, mm-hmm. holding anger or holding a grudge to them for for something that they couldn't have known um I th- I do think that there is um regardless mm-hmm. of where you went and if it was nice I do think there is still a lot of trauma in being sent away from home um, as a teen. Uh, even, you know, even if you went to a great place, I think there's still a lot of trauma in that. Because I, you know, I, I have abandonment. I feel like I do have some abandonment issues. Um, I wouldn't, like, necessarily blame it on them. Like, it's, it's really just a difficult situation. Like, and I can't really sit here and say, like, what should have happened, right? Like, I can say from early on that we, that family therapy and like having therapists that were actually like good and like actually listened to me instead of saying like stuff like, oh, get over it, like would have been helpful. Um, but last, so I did have PTSD going into the program already. Um, it was kind of ironic that coming out of the program that that trauma was kind of gone because there was new trauma that was way more that exceeded right so I guess you could say that they got rid of that PTSD (laughs) are you in therapy yes I I am now yeah um I didn't do therapy for a long time after the program I actually just recently started with a trauma therapist um in like April or something you're in therapy I know there's a lot of um survivors that are still very scared of therapy which I understand yeah well it's I think it is a huge huge hurdle and I don't think that you can you can't like force somebody to go to therapy until they're ready um Mm -hmm. for me you know I over the years I you know something would come up I'd have a nightmare about it um you know I'd do a little bit of research (laughs) 
um, to try to make myself feel validated that I wasn't making this up. And then I would just kind of shove it all back down again because I didn't want to think about it. And that would happen over and over again throughout the years. And then I think COVID hit and I started having more nightmares. And I was just like, this isn't something that is going to go away. Um, I just need to like deal with it. Uh, So at my program, we did, you know, we did have horses and a horse, an abused horse came like right, like a week after I got there. And he really wouldn't let anybody touch him or interact with him except for the horse lady. But he and I bonded very closely. Um, and I believe that that is what got me through the program. Um, because I, I, you know, I mean, I don't, this sounds crazy, but like, I do believe animals can sort of be like your soulmate. And he was that for me. Um, you know, there are plenty of times that I couldn't touch him because I was on red. But even if I was just standing there next to him, like, I could feel him. Um, yeah. The times that I did get to ride, because we did ride sometimes, very rarely, but we did get to ride sometimes. The times I did get to ride him, he he just knew what I wanted. Like, I didn't have to, like, really direct him or, like, tell him to gallop or canter. Like, he just did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was that connection there. Um And I think, yeah, and I really think that that is uh, what got me through. I I was involved with horses even before I came to the program. I was working uh, at a barn in exchange for lessons. So I was around horses for a while. So, Um, but, but he was, he was that, um, he was what I needed to be able to, I think, survive the program. Um, And leaving, leave, that's the thing that I think was so hard about leaving um, was that even if I wasn't really recognizing like that this place was abusive and I was still brainwashed, I still knew that I was never going to come back to visit because they have like alumni weekend where people can go back and visit. And so saying goodbye to him was, was really hard because he knew and I knew that, (laughs) that that was, you know, kind of goodbye because, um, because, you know, subconsciously, I, I just knew, like, that there was no way that I could ever come back. 